Tonight's scripture reading will be from Daniel 1, 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jesus and besieged him. It, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried, into the land of Shinar, of the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. But now, there we go. It would help if I turned it on. I'll just leave this up here. Okay, all right. Good evening. Did you call me elderly earlier? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, you know, one of the things, that, and I'm, I appreciate Mackenzie and Jackson both bringing up the importance of connecting with those who are older than yourself. It's something that we're striving to encourage more and more within the youth group uh, and, of course, with young families as they're raising their children to identify and connect with older, uh, sometimes wiser individuals to help uh, raise your children and rear them in the Lord. Um, if you haven't already, open your Bibles up to Daniel chapter 1. I was notified by the elders that my job is in jeopardy because apparently my son is after it. So if you have any questions about tonight's lesson, you can ask him. <laughs> so he's got all the answers. I'm just kidding. He doesn't. Um, Daniel is my favorite book of the Bible. Um, I, there was a, a time in my life where I was really struggling with my, my faith uh, and, and seeing the world around me just, just falling apart, uh, falling into sin and, and wondering, where is God in all of this? And I think all of us go through that period in life in some capacity where we look around and see tragedy happening, natural disasters happening, bad things happening, bad people having great success and good people finding uh, bad, bad times in life. And, and we ask, where's God in all of this? And so a friend of mine, a preaching friend of mine, wrote a book called The Derision of Heaven. And uh, uh, another preacher friend encouraged me to read it, and it was a uh, commentary on the book of Daniel, and it really changed my perspective on the role that God plays in the world and the role that I play in the world as well. The, the reason why the book of Daniel is such a wonderful book is that there are so many applicable teachings to live as a Christian today. From the very introduction, which we heard read just moments ago, Throughout the entire book, we see time and time again examples of resilient faith, uh, resilient faith in the face of trials and temptation and tribulation, all the three T's. Due to the number of struggles and distractions that we have in our world today, it's easy to see how we can look around us and see remnants of Babylon everywhere. So next quarter in our young families class and with the middle and high school classes, we'll be diving into the book of Daniel and look at how we can remain faithful as exiles in today's Babylon, the Babylon that we live in today. I learned a couple weeks back that I would have this opportunity to speak on this being Senior Sunday, and I couldn't think of a better lesson for graduating seniors, their physical families, and the spiritual family that supports them than that of these faithful, uh, resilient young people in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, we are introduced 
to the major players of the first several chapters of Daniel. And if you're in Daniel chapter 1, let's pick up in verse 3. Then the king commanded and put... Uh, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, uh, lear learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, that is, the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So these three men, four men, if you count Daniel... We're introduced to them here. We meet them and we see that they are, of course, of high standing within Israel. But they are young men, and they were brought there for a purpose. They were to be trained in, to serve before the king of Babylon. Like Daniel, they were blessed by God, and they impressed the king after their period of training. The next several verses go into the fact that Daniel stood up and said, No, we're not going to eat this food. We'd rather have vegetables and water. If you've ever heard of the Daniel diet today, that's what it is, vegetables and water. I don't agree with that, but, you know, to each their own. Um, they were found to be stronger than everybody else. They excelled further than everybody else who, was part, who were partaking in the things that the king was putting in front of them. And after their period of training, after those three years of learning, they stood before the king, and they impressed that king. And Daniel 3 we see the, ex the acceleration of their position in Babylon. They are in high positions in Babylon. Uh, they were put over several different areas in Babylon as governors, as, as prefects, etc. And we see more of their character in chapter 3. In recounting an incident that has fascinated many, both young and old, we see, in just like in Daniel chapter 1, it illustrates the power of instilling a strong faith in those who are young, as well as those uh, who are young relying on it. This inspiring story that we see in Daniel chapter 3, I like to call resilient faith in the furnace. And it begins by describing the trial that they face. Leading up to the event, if you will, in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon, erects a giant golden statue of himself. There is nothing more pompous and arrogant than that, right? I could go on and on and talk about idolatry and have a whole lesson about idolatry and how we today tend to erect statues of ourselves in our own lives. We put us at the center of everything. Our world revolves around us. And that's, so, that's what happened here with Nebuchadnezzar. His world revolved around him. He built a statue of himself and wanted everybody else to bow down to it. And then the Chaldeans stand up they come to the king and say, King, there are some men that you've put in some high positions of authority here in Babylon who are not doing as you've told them to do. And those three men, as I'm sure many of you know, were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so, down in verses 8 through 12, we see this accusation. And then in verse 13, we see the king responding. 
Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before, before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands. We're going to pause there, and I know many of you probably know the outcome of this story, but I want us to stop and think about the trial that's facing them. What is at stake for these three young men in this situation? Well, first and foremost, they have high standing in the kingdom. They have been promoted over the affairs of Babylon. We see that in verse 12 of chapter 3. They would lose their position of authority as well as their lives if they don't do what the king says. If they were to do what the king says, they would be sacrificing their conscience. All they needed to do was to conform outwardly. All they needed to do was just to bow down and do as the king said. Of course, that would mean disobedience to God. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 5, God says very specifically, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So how does that apply to us today? How can we look at those trials and apply it? We face very similar trials today. We may be faced with opportunities to try and save our situation, such as our popularity at school, by doing things that our peers or teacher don't see as wrong. We may have to sacrifice our position at work by doing that which our boss or company requires, which may be illegal, unethical, or just simply immoral. We have to make that choice. If your desire to fit in ever causes you to push God or your faith aside, you've made yourself the idol for worship. And we may also face trials to sacrifice our conscience. Again, it's easy to go along with the crowd. It's easy to go along with the crowd and conform outwardly, to just go along with it. But inwardly, you can always say that you disagree. But at this point, you're covering up your light. You're hiding that light. How long will that go on? Out, that, how long will it go from outward conformity to just downright acceptance and participation? Our conscience often will condemn us, and so would God. Listen to the word that has been implanted in your heart. You know what is right and wrong. We all have that in, ingrained in us, and we get it from that foundation of faith. If you've read your Bible at all, you know right and wrong. You know what God approves and disapproves of. And if you don't, figure it out. Get into the Word and learn it and know it and write it on your heart. If you know what is right but you choose not to do it, that is the definition of sin in James chapter 4, verse 17. Likely, we have all been tempted in some way like this, to put aside our conscience 
to put ourselves and our perceived happiness over serving and obeying God. And in those situations, how did we react? How should we have reacted? Well, how did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego react? Let's consider their testimony that we see in verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That is bold. To stand before arguably the most powerful man in the world at that point in time and basically slap him in the face and say, we will not obey your command. We will serve God instead. They demonstrated great faith. Faith, first of all, in the power of God, that God was able to deliver them from the fiery furnace if it was his will. They also demonstrated faith in the will of God. If, if it was God's will not to deliver them, so be it. They still would not worship other gods or the golden image. They determined to serve God no matter what, even if that what was death. Just like Job in the midst of his affliction throughout the entire book of Job. Just like uh, Habakkuk, who would praise God even in his suffering in Habakkuk chapter 3, or the apostles who rejoiced to suffer in his name, or like Stephen, who continued to preach as he was being stoned to death, never turning to curse those who opposed him just as Jesus did in Acts chapter 7. Such examples are truly a resilient, face, uh, resilient faith in the face of fire. This is what it means to have faith, trust, and commitment to the Lord. What about our own personal trials, socially or at school or at work? Have we been true to God no matter the cost? Finally, let's consider their triumph. Of course, the rest of the chapter reveals exactly what happens. In verses 19 through 25, Nebuchadnezzar's filled with fury. He tells them to, to heat up the furnace even hotter than it was before, seven times more than it was usually going at. And he ordered the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. That seems like a weird detail to include, but it's important because their clothes didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, they got it too hot. The flame of the fire killed the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the, fire, the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And the three men came out of the fire, 
And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not even singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and they smelled, there was no smell of fire or smoke that had come upon them. I don't know about you, but if you're within 100 yards of a campfire, you smell like campfire for three days. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Consider what their trials brought them. When they came out of that fiery furnace, well, actually, when they went into the fiery furnace, they were bound. And they got a new sense of freedom. They entered bound, but they were soon seen loose and walking about in the fire. The very thing presumed to destroy them enabled them to walk freely. Our own trials can also be used to truly set us free. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And Romans chapter 5 says something very similar in verses 3 through 5. Our trials are there to strengthen us and build us up. They also found a new sense of fellowship, or rather a new source of fellowship. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, there was a fourth person in the fire. Now, the identity of who this fourth person is is not certain. Some think it was an angel. Others believe it was the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Whichever it is, it suggests a very close and much closer communion and fellowship with God. Our trials can also bring us closer to God. These three men also found a new opportunity for service. They were promoted to an even higher position in the kingdom. They already had pretty high positions. This is just like Joseph, right? Joseph and his trials, he went from slave to steward. He went from prisoner to Pharaoh's right-hand man. And if you'd like more information on that story, join us for VBS starting June 11th, 10th, 11th. Our faithfulness in trials can lead to greater things. As Jesus taught in his parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, in which the master of the house says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We should strive to live our life so that one day we too can hear those wonderful words. So to our graduating seniors, I want you to consider yourself a Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. Similar to leaving Israel and brought into the king's palace to teach and train them for service in Babylon, if you've chosen college as your next step, or even if you're choosing just to go out into the world on your own and begin a career, know that the world is going to strive to do what Nebuchadnezzar tried to do with the young Israelites. You know, I can't help, and in fact, I know the first time I read the introduction of Daniel there, the the, the first chapter, and saw that 
They brought the best looking, okay? Three years they would be educated. Similar to college, isn't it? You are removed from your circle of influence at home. And being removed from that circle of influence, the world is going to strive to train you in ways that may be contrary to your upbringing. The goal of the Babylonian indoctrination, and that's exactly what it was, was to remove faith, to remove religion, values, morals, and culture, and the knowledge that they had from Israel, and replace it with Babylonian ideals instead. For some, college has the potential to do the same thing. For others, turning your devotion to the world can do the same thing as well. No matter what direction you go after high school, know this. Your faith will be tested, your values will be questioned, and your morals will be challenged. There is no doubt in that, because those are the tools that Satan uses. You must remain firm in the foundation that you have been rooted in. You must strive to surround yourself with faithful individuals to help encourage you, to pray with and for you, and to keep you accountable. So I urge you to find a faithful congregation of the Lord's church where you can get involved and be nourished with sound teaching and encouragement. I think Sam said it when he was up here with the little ones. For the little ones to do that now. You guys have to continue doing that when you leave. If you struggle with finding this, ask your parents, ask me, call Eric, call the elders. We will find you a faithful congregation in your area and might even get an Uber to get you there. I don't know. I have to get that approved through budget processes, but we'll see. <laughs> Secondly, keep in contact with your parents, with your friends here at Westside, and find yourself two older individuals that you can turn to as mentors here in this congregation. Establish that connection now and rely on them to be your prayer warriors and encouragers while you are away. Write to them. If you don't have access to Lightpost, get access to Lightpost and just grab some addresses before you leave and write to them. That will encourage them and I guarantee you it will bless you. Third, Read your Bible daily. Pray more than just over your meals, but also pray at mealtime. Because college food is not that great. And you have to add that part in there about let this food nourish your body, right? I still don't know why people do that at McDonald's, but they do. Pray. Read your Bible, study God's Word, and pray. Fourth, if you do number one, and you find that congregation nearby, invite your new friends to church. Start a Bible study in your dorm. Invite your friends to read the Bible with you, to pray with them. Do not lose your fervor or faith in the Lord. Anything that you learn at college, anything that you go off and do as a career, ultimately dies when you do. But the legacy that you leave behind the faith that you could potentially instill in your future children and families and the friends and, and, and people that you come into contact with the world, that's going to be more valuable than anything else. Keep your faith in the Lord. What a wonderful example we have in these three young men that we discussed this evening. 
They were committed to serving God no matter the consequence. If it meant that they were going to lose their scholarship, you better believe they were still going to worship God. If it meant that they weren't going to be the starting pitcher on the baseball team, you better believe they would still be serving God. Believing that God can bring deliverance, willing to accept the consequences of the trial if he doesn't deliver you from it. You know, you've likely heard the, the, the scripture that says, and Jesus says, if you have the faith the size of the mustard seed, you can, move this, you can tell this mountain to move from here to there. But see, the, the will of God is the important aspect of that. If it's God's will for that mountain to be in your path, you got to climb it, and it will strengthen you. That's the beauty of trials, and that's why we can count them joy when we face them. These three men demonstrated that faith in the face of fire can lead to much greater things. And let's not overlook perhaps the most important outcome of this entire incident. Glory to God. Note the praise that was rendered by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, in Daniel chapter 3, verses 28 through 29. I'm going to read it again. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Think about that. He had to humble himself and say, these guys disobeyed me, but they still did the right thing. He glorified God in that moment. Our faith and our works as Christians should be to the praise of God and not to ourselves. Jesus teaches us that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. So what kind of faith do we have? Is it like a spare tire that we only use in the case of emergency? Is it a wheelbarrow that is easily overturned and has, has to always be pushed in order to get anywhere? Or is it like a bus that we only get on when it goes our way? Or is it a faith that stands firm when the winds of temptation try to blow us over? A faith that looks into the fire and says, even if God will not deliver me from this trial, I will not falter in my trust in God to deliver me into eternity as he has promised. May our faith be like that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, committed to serving the Lord and demonstrating a resilient faith in the face of fire. Is your faith fireproof? It is that eternal hope that we have in Christ and the desire to serve him above anything else that should fuel our fiery faith. A faith that begins by hearing the gospel message, one that has not changed from the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. We need the Savior to have hope and salvation from the sins that make us enemies of God. And that salvation is only possible by confessing Jesus as the Son of God, as he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that is the foundation, that is the rock on which the church is built. Repenting of your sins, which means to turn away from the life of sin and turning instead to God and calling on his name by obeying the command, the command to be immersed in water where the power of God works, removing the sinful flesh and uniting us to Christ, as Colossians 2 tells us. Raised to walk in a newness of life just as Jesus was raised up after three days. You know, this morning we talked about lambs. And every time in the Old Testament when sac sacrifices had to be given, the person bringing the sacrifice had to kill the sacrifice. Jesus is our lamb. We killed him. God raised him. Repent. That is the gospel message. If you desire to be baptized tonight, don't wait. There is no better time than today to give your life to Christ 
and set that faith on fire. If you're here and your fire for Christ has fizzled and you need to reignite that flame of faith within you and restore your life to Christ, again, don't wait. If you have any need through prayer or study or or anything that the church can assist you with, please do not hesitate or wait another second. Make tonight the night that you make that known. If we can help you, now is the time that you can come forward while we stand and sing.